Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission is to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales enablement journey and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Tim Wachel. He's an experienced sales trainer, keynote speaker, and an executive presentation coach. He is an inductee in the Sales Hall of Fame and a sales leadership veteran with Agilent Technologies and also with HP. We're here to learn from Tim what it takes to succeed in a new, more virtual and digital selling world and learn from him what he calls Problem Solving 101, which I'm really curious to find out and learn more about. Welcome, Tim Wachel. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much for having me here today. All right. So a little over a year ago, I know you'd have found me on the road, um, meeting with prospects, key accounts. I don't know if you were a road warrior at that time too, but uh, you know, if there was a week where I was home, that would be the exception. How are you finding not traveling this new virtual selling world? Well, <laughs> it's, it's been interesting, Tom. My, my last live customer engagement was March 6th, 2020. And I remember it like it was yesterday because I was standing outside the meeting room and I was trying to shake everybody's hand as they're coming into the session and nobody wanted to shake my hand. Everybody was doing fist bumps. And I thought to myself, oh, my word, the world is about to change and, and the world has changed. And, um, you know, none of us are sitting down with a cup of coffee. None of us are able to hug colleagues anymore. And we're in this new digital virtual realm. And it's 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 difficult. But to answer your question. You know, for the first four months, I enjoyed not traveling, and now I kind of miss the smell of jet fumes. I'm ready to get back on the road. I don't know if I'm ready for the jet fumes again, but I definitely miss the one-on-one interaction and, you know, the ability to collaborate in particular, co-create solutions, do that kind of workshopping. Uh, although we've certainly made it happen in 13-inch monitor, is not as easy as a whiteboard or with, uh, you know, post-its up on the boards and given everyone markers in the room, you know, just the digital analog of that uh, via the virtual meeting room just does, it's not the same, is it? No, it's not. (laughs) So what I wanted to do was there's a great piece of research from Gartner highlighting four key challengers, challenges that they indicate uh, in the new virtual selling environment. And I wanted to kind of get your take on each one. Um, The first challenge that they indicated that sellers were having was gaining access to stakeholders virtually. And almost 60% of sellers said this was their biggest challenge. They can't gain access to the stakeholders that they need to talk to. Talk about that a little bit. So my hypothesis, and again, this would just be three decades of experience speaking, Thomas, I think if you um, if you ask sellers pre-COVID what one of their number one challenges was, I think they'd still say gaining access to stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And so you and I were chatting a little bit before we went live that you know if you if you struggled gaining access to stakeholders before we went virtual, you're probably really struggling now. Yeah. And you know uh, what I see happening in my world as a business owner is everybody wants access, but the access is, let me send you a LinkedIn invite. Mm-hmm. And the minute I accept, they go right to the pitch and it, it, it makes my skin crawl. You have no idea who I am, where I'm coming from, what I've done, where I'm trying to get to. And um, it, 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 we, we, we have to get back to the basics. This is kind of the problem solving 101. Yeah. And, and I always like to think of it, Tom, as having a good sales story. 
and and the good sales story answers two questions: why you and why now. Mm-hmm. And if you can't articulate why I should be talking to you and why I should be talking to you now, I don't care if you're face to face or virtual, you're going to struggle. And I think most salespeople, myself included, that it's hard to tell a compelling sales story. Yeah, and Tim, I always like to have it where the why you part comes last. Um, a lot of times I'll get those same invites and the person will first talk about themselves and their company. And then yep. second, like you said, kind of blindly pitch the company. And how, how well do you think a blind pitch would work on the ball field? Not at all. You know, how, how well do you think asking for marriage right after a, a, the blind date or on the blind date is going to work for you? Not right. well at all. So no. why are we doing it in the selling realm? Uh, you know, the whole kind of why change now piece um, I think people need help. They need a lot more help nowadays than ever. They're inundated with content. They're inundated with information. They got more available to them than ever before. Yet making a decision is so much more difficult. And that's the second piece um, that Gartner highlighted, which is you know, bringing buying groups together virtually was another big challenge. So just getting everyone you need kind of to participate and then navigating consensus among all of these purchase decision makers was another virtual selling issue. So um, if you're able to reach someone by not pitching, by instead, you know, making sure it's all about them and the why change now piece of it, um, but then you get them together and they still can't make a purchase decision, how do you propose that maybe sellers address that second piece? I would suggest, um, and this is not a be-all, end-all, but but I think when when my buyers are struggling to make decisions and buyer groups are struggling to make decisions, it's always really easy, Tom, to point at them. Um, but I think if I'm really honest with myself and I look in the mirror, that a lot of that falls on me mm-hmm. and my inability to facilitate a decision-making process. And... I, 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 I can't, the best way to get my ideas to be your ideas is not to tell you my ideas, but to ask the right questions in the right way that I'm planting the right seeds. And eventually you and all the other decision makers go, oh my gosh, that's exactly what we need to do. And I, I know this sounds incredibly simple and it's not, but if my buyer is struggling and things are stalling, I, I go back and I look at the conversations we've had and the percent of the time that we've been together virtually, what percent of the time am I talking versus what percent of the time am I really asking those good thought-provoking questions and then building the value story around that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's, it's the old, um, you've got to bring value. I mean, you wrote about that. You just need to bring value at each and every touch point. Um, you know, if, if you're pitching prematurely, which we already talked about, if mm-hmm. you're trying to get to that decision too early, what's your, what's your decision-making process look like? Who besides yourself? You know, that's, that stuff is so um, yesterday mm-hmm. um, that you've got to be bringing that value. I mean, what's, what's the old adage? Do, you, do your customers consider you to be valuable? And most salespeople would say yes. And then the follow-up question would be, well, how much would they spend for a sales call? And that's where the rubber hits the road is that you need to be bringing insights. You need to be re- uh, bringing research. You need to be uh, bringing relevant stories from other people in a similar space. I, you've got to, I, especially virtually, I think you've just got to be stickier than you've ever been before. Yeah. And I would say that that answer goes for the first challenge, which is gaining access to stakeholders virtually as much as the second challenge where you're actually engaging with the buyer group. I think that if you could... Think about your personal brand when you're outreaching and wanting to be seen as that helper, that consultant, that person that they would pay almost to gain access to. 
I think that's an important gauge. If you're pitching, they're not going to pay anything for that. But if you're providing them useful advice and insights and maybe an assessment, um, maybe a health check, something like yeah. that as a value add, right? That's worth money. That's worth paying for. And then when you engage and you're navigating consensus and you're trying to get them convinced, who would they pay more than a therapist to help them engage with? So as you're, as you're saying some of the questions that you would ask, almost think like a therapist or yeah. a doctor would, right? Ask the questions that are going to get them to become self-aware. Socratic questioning is kind yeah. of the, the way that I learned it. But, um, you know, ask questions that let them become self-aware of their own challenges, just like a good therapist would. Um, poignant questions that get you to think about your current situation, how you got yourself there, how you might get yourself out, and they will sell themselves on the solution. You're just there as the guide, the Sherpa, the concierge. Well, I, I was taught years ago by one of the best sales leaders I ever worked for that you're, the goal of your questions should be to disturb and to enlighten. Mm -hmm. And if you can ask questions that both disturb and enlighten, they're going to look at you like a therapist, like a doctor, because, you know, you, you when you start asking the right questions in the right way, it's like, yeah, yeah, ask me the next one. This is really good versus be need budget time frame fit decision making process is like, why should I answer those? Those are self-absorbed, manipulative selling questions. Yeah. But asking me questions about my environment, my pain points, where I'm trying to get to, what I've tried, who else is involved, that's that's more of a real dialogue that, hey, I don't. I don't want to be a peddler. I want to be a partner. And, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I've worked with people just like you, and I've brought value. Give me the opportunity to do that with you. I would add a new one to the list, Tim, only because of the time that we're in and the stress that buyers are under. So the disturb, you have to be a little careful with nowadays, right? Because we're already under amygdala overload. However, if you don't disturb someone, they'll never change their world frame point of view. Yep. And so you need to do that, but probably more carefully than ever before. Um, the enlightened, definitely. Um, there's a facilitation one around consensus that I think is another one to add to that wisdom list of the questions that you need to ask. And they go towards consensus building, like questions like, well, why hasn't that group changed before or adopted before? Like, what challenges are they seeing that your path might not be solving? So almost asking questions that let them be aware that there are other points of view within their organization that they may need to be taken care of. And I think that that's kind of a, a modern view of it because we now have more stakeholders than ever before. And it's not just getting one person disturbed and enlightened, it's getting a group, but usually your champion has to have perspective of how to disturb and enlighten others exactly. because you're not gonna get there. So I don't know if I threw a whole monkey wrench into the problem solving 101 and now we're 201 or 301, but talk about that a little bit, the facilitation or the helping. Well, it gets back to what to what you said, Tom. I think um, when you've got group decisions like that, your your key stakeholder. I like to call them my fire starter, right? Who's my okay. fire starter? Who's who's the person that I have built enough rapport with? I've made enough de uh, value deposits with that um, you know they may not be as forthcoming with me to say, "Oh my gosh, the the house is on fire." But you can sense by the conversations that you know the minute you get off this video chat they're going to run next door or they're going to they're going to get on another video chat and they're going to have another conference with somebody saying hey we hadn't thought about this that or the other thing so it's um again i don't want to make this sound simplistic but 
the, the, the fundamentals work, but you got to work the fundamentals. And if you're trying to bounce ahead, if you're trying to push, you know, it's the old, are you, are you, is it your selling process or is it their buying process? And figuring out what their buying process is and then playing the right role at the right time, always adding value. Um, personal branding, you talked about in your article as well. I mean, you just want to be, you know, you just want to be the best sales rep they've ever worked with, period. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they're buying a three-quarter inch pipe. Or if they're buying SaaS, you want to be somebody they go like, man, this this is this is the best salesperson I've ever worked with. And how do you go about doing that? And it's not that hard, but you got to do it each and every day. Now, one of the um, things that you mentioned is a great test is how much are you talking versus how much you're listening. Talk about that. Uh, first of all, there's great tools to help measure that and coach that, right? Yep. We have call recording now, Gong.io, solutions like that. Um, and then talk about how important making sure that your listening is in this new environment. Well, the, the ratio is just, uh, it, it's something I've been preaching for a long time. And um, I use a recording software here. And there are times, Tom, where somebody will approach me and they've got the right sales story. So I'm like, you know what? I'm interested. I'll give you that 15 minute call. And then when we go back and we look at the analysis of the 15 minute call, it's usually a 70 30 talk, 70% the seller, 30% me, the buyer. And I always ask my, my, my workshop participants, it's like, okay, listen, do you think this guy's going to get a second call? And they're like, no. And it's like, why not? What's well, because, you know, if they're talking 70% of the time, I probably learned everything I needed to learn about who they are and what they offer. And so I think it's really priding yourself, and I don't know that there's a, a magical ratio, but you know we just have to do a better job. You know, everybody always says listening's the number one skill for salespeople, and I go, no, it's not, because I could show up right now, Tom, and li- allow me to demonstrate awesome listening skills with you in three, two, one. Yeah. See, I'm listening, but you got nothing. So it's not yeah, listening; exactly. it's asking the right question and then exactly. listening. Yeah. But but to your point, especially in this virtual world, you, you, you know. You, we want to make eye contact. Yep, that's all very, very important. But we still have to take notes, mm-hmm. probably more so than ever. And you got to let the you got to let your customer and customers know, or your prospect and prospects know ahead of time. Hey, listen, from time to time during this call, you're going to see the top of my head, and it's not because I'm trying to show off my bald spot. It's because what you say is important to me, and I'm going to be taking notes. And then it's that classic ability that every once in a while during the conversation to say, hey. Let me let me just call timeout. Let me. I want to go back and just let me replay what I've got here because I want to make sure I'm tracking where we're at. And and you know that's that's a sin of my own, Tom, because I've been doing this for so long. It's like yeah, I've heard this a million times before. And when you just simply not paraphrase, but and I don't want to say parrot, but you know you you play back to get agreement. Hey, mm-hmm. listen, what I'm hearing you say then is this, that, and the other thing. And you know, we just get so nervous that we only got 20 minutes and I just got to get through this and I've heard it before. So I know what it is. And you just get yourself in trouble. You know, you sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. I wrote slow down, down. And in fact, I've got it on my desk. Slow your roll. Those who've listened before know that that's here um, because you can get into that uh, with online meetings that I found I wouldn't do in person. Uh, it's almost like you're on the clock in a way that you weren't when you were sitting across from somebody. And it's curious that that's the case, but somehow you find yourself in a digital realm to where you're being timed to get as much across as possible and fill the void as much as possible, where pauses can sometimes help and emphasize things. Um, Mirroring back, 
uh, the responses, making sure that you understand the priorities right, or perhaps you're mirroring back three things they said and asking them the priorities of those. Yeah. What a great way to kind of dialogue and make it a two-way collaboration. And I think we can learn something too from Netflix and some of the other series, right? It doesn't all have to be in one call. Now, granted, you want to make sure the time is used as much as possible and you're teaching and uh, collaborating as much as possible. But there's nothing that says another meeting or two or three can't be scheduled. If that first one is valuable enough, they'll want more. And you almost have to leave them wanting more. You don't have to oh, solve yeah. everything in one call, right? Talk about that a little bit. Well, I think, Tom, that, um, that pre-COVID, you know, when you did a face-to-face -face call with a customer, I think the customer just automatically assumed to be a half hour, 45 minute, one hour call. They would, they would carve chunks out of their schedule to accommodate you. You know, a lot of folks are still working from home mm -hmm. and they've got a spouse or a partner that's working from home. And maybe they got a couple of kids under the age of 12 that are learning from home. So it's very chaotic. And where, where I think I'm having more success is, is not to ask for bigger chunks of time, but to ask for smaller chunks of time and get more of them, um, which allows me to get a little more momentum. And, and uh, you know, what's, what's the magic rule? Always leave them wanting more. So, you know, hey, listen, we're just going to spend 20 minutes today. And this is what, you know, the old get together an agenda, make sure everybody knows what's going on. Here's what the objective for the call is. And I see this happening over the next three or four weeks as we talk every Tuesday afternoon. And it's, it's being, you know, an expert facilitator and, mm -hmm. and not looking for those big, because nobody really wants to see themselves on video for an hour. Right. It's like, look, a 15, 20 minute chunk. Let's get it done. And then let's roll again next week. Give me some time to synthesize this. I want to come up with some some new questions and some new insights. Let's meet again. I, I think that's brilliant advice. I think so, too. And you have to put yourself in the buyer's perspective that your Zoom call is one of maybe eight other ones that they have that that's day. exactly right. You know, each an hour long. Uh, so there's their eight hour day. And you know, when do they have time to work and other things? So I think a lot of times they'll appreciate shorter um, meetings where you're getting a good amount done, but doing them on a maybe a, a scheduled basis yes. going out uh, could be good and leaving them with a cliffhanger at yeah. the end, something yeah. that you know that they want that you just weren't able to get to. You didn't rush through it. Yeah. And you're setting up some anticipation for next time, which I love. Um, so reviewing through, gaining access to stakeholder virtually, we talked about adding value, uh, educating them, wanting them to engage with you, not pitching, and especially not pitching blindly right away. Earn the right to yeah, that meeting. Right. Don't just expect someone to meet with you just because they're going to tell you about themselves and, and their product. Uh, bringing buyer groups together and then navigating consensus. So making sure that you're uh, adding value with uh, good questioning to bring the group together and helping to enable that fire starter to make the case for you. And then the last point that Gartner made about the virtual selling struggle is lack of customer confidence when making purchase decisions in a virtual environment. So there's a decided lack of confidence that buyers have in their decision-making. Tim, talk about that. What, first of all, why is that maybe more so today and why maybe are sellers falling short in a virtual environment in making customers feel confident? You know, I was really glad you shared that data with me ahead of time because I've been, I've been thinking about that, Tom, and I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced I have an informed opinion, but I do have an opinion. You know, from the buyer standpoint, you know, buyers are 
no longer having coffee room chats or those have you got just a minute meetings. So mm -hmm. I think just in our own world, the interaction is strained as well. Mm -hmm. And so are we doing the right thing? Are we not doing the right thing? And, and sometimes just those hallway conversations are just just little pushes on the old flywheel to help gain momentum. And so I, I think from the customer standpoint, they're not getting as much um, internal reinforcement, internal feedback as they used to. And then on our side of the conversation, you've got to, um, you got to get rid of the happy ears. You know, when I think of, uh, you know, sometimes we try to give our customers confidence because we're confident. Sometimes the best way to give somebody confidence is to not be confident, to be like, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, help me understand what bad thing happens to you guys should you choose to do nothing. You know, asking those contrarian questions that really, um, you know, get them, get, if, if you can't get them to convince you it's a good idea to move forward, they're not going to be able to convince anybody else inside the organization, right? You're their biggest cheerleader for making change. And if you say, gosh, guys, you know, decisions like this take time, cost money, and there's always a risk involved. Help me understand why you would just not do anything. And if they can't compel to you why they need to take a step forward, yeah, you probably haven't done a very good job. Yeah. I love that. So I do think that they're not getting that informal kind of um, reinforcement on their own decisions and it's all formal. And with that formality, there's also risk. Yeah, I, I see them putting their jobs on the line with a lot of these decisions. Whereas before they could get kind of this informal consensus. Now it's very formal, very structured, and it's hard to gain consensus amongst the buying group and have confidence in that consensus because your job is on the line. One, if you look at just life in general, mm -hmm. what has happened to our overall confidence in, in everything, being able to go get a meal, um, having fuel, being able to find toilet paper. I mean, everybody's world, yours and mine and all the buyers and all the sellers out there on planet Earth. I mean, everybody got rocked pretty hard last year. Yeah, absolutely. From a neuroscience standpoint, I think if you examine your personal life, you've probably struggled with decisions that would normally be no brainers <laughs> in a much bigger way nowadays. I'm right? laughing because I mean, I got a new place uh, just last January and I've never seen a grown man take so much time to decide on pillow shams. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's a pillow sham for God's sakes, make a decision. That's what is particular. Exactly. Even the, I find myself even the smallest decisions. I mean, the smallest, smallest ones you make, but the habits have reinforced themselves um, because they make you feel comfortable and any kind of decision that's out of the norm, which uh, B2B buying purchase is usually a not, you know, it's not a subscription that they're just ordering every right, month. Right. I, I tend to really struggle with those decisions. And yep. I know that there are decisions being made, but I, I would argue that they're harder to make for an individual yep. than ever before because of all the uncertainty. I also like what you said in terms of the transparency, where, you know, ask the questions that get them to um, convince themselves that they're either ready or not ready. If they're not ready, your advice may be, guys, uh, I'm Tim. I'm here to tell you that you, you, you're not ready for this decision, you know, and that might be the best advice. And here's how you could get ready for it. Um, what do you think so-and-so thinks about that or so-and-so thinks about that? Or even just being transparent about your own solution and maybe the weaknesses. I've seen a lot of um, value being delivered nowadays of being as transparent as ever 
not saying that you can solve every problem that they have, but being open, honest, and say, look, you know, we don't have that today. It's definitely on our roadmap. Um, or no, that's not how we designed our product. We designed it with a completely different premise in mind. If you want that, you're better off going with the solution that you were thinking about. But but if you think of the world this way, which we think is a better way to think about it, you know, then because you believe in that frame, we think we've got the best solution. And then, yeah. so which frame are you in kind of, yeah. and, and really giving them that transparent advice. A uh, friend of mine, um, fellow author, Todd Capone says it best in, you know, uh, be flossom, embrace your flaws yeah. uh, as much as possible. Talk about that and the power that that could have in making buyers feel confident. Well, you know, let me share a real life story that I think is, 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 a, is a great parallel. A number of years ago, um, I was having some back problems and, um, you know, I love to play golf. I love to be active. And I mean, it was really, I, I was having a hard time just standing up all day facilitating a workshop. So, and, um, I saw several of the best surgeons here in Dallas and, uh, three to be exact, you know, I was going to do my body, you know, I was, I was interviewing. Right. Mm -hmm. And the first two were like, okay, height, weight, age, tell me about your symptoms. Okay. Listen, this is what we're going to do. This is what the recovery is going to look like. Um, just call when you're ready to schedule. And I mean, they had all the Dallas athletes on their wall. I mean, these guys, top notch surgeons, the third guy I saw went through all the data, you know, like everybody else. And he looked to me and he says, I don't, you know, he says, I don't think so. There's a guy like you, you're in your mid fifties. Why in the world would you want to go through a fusion now? Yeah. I mean, you're going to be, you know, off airplanes for six months. You're going to be in pain for three months. You know, this, I just don't think this is a good decision. And I was almost offended. It's like, whoa, well, hold on, Sparky. You're not taking that away from me. And, and I mean, the way he facilitated, he says, okay, let's assume for a second, I would agree to do that. Mm -hmm. then you're going to have to be in three months of physical therapy. Now, everybody says you're going to do physical therapy, but then they very quickly discover it takes time, it's yeah. expensive, and it hurts. Talk to me about your commitment to physical therapy. I mean, he put me on the offensive. I am pitching him to cut me open. And, and when I looked back on that, when it was all said and done, I thought that was one of the most effective ways of being persuasive because everybody else just wanted to do it for me. Oh, I know I can help. I know I can help. And this guy was like, yeah. I'm not so sure. And, and I think sometimes, you know, everybody thinks that the baby's going to scream when you take the candy away. Sometimes you just got to take the candy away. Yeah. Um, it, but it gets back to what everything we've talked about, Tom, is being more consultative. Um, it's not pushing, it's facilitating. Um, and it's knowing that you've got value because this guy knew he could do it. I mean, he was convinced yeah. he could do it. He just wasn't, he wanted to make sure I was on board. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that aspect. And what I think it shows is that, look, you could have all the right questions to ask because all of those other doctors had all the right questions. They didn't get to a solution right away, right? They were like, oh, okay, here was a, what's your height, what's your weight, da, yeah. da, 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 da. And, then, and then they were like, okay, well, we'll schedule you for the solution. And they forgot that middle part, which was, is this really right for you? Yeah. So it's not cookie cutter. And or do we need to adjust this to maybe it's not right for you? Maybe it's a two years away, three years away. Yeah. Let's find out where your capability maturity is yeah. or where your mind's mind is, right? And your willingness of this. And I absolutely love that. So I, I have to ask, did you go through with the surgery? Did you take a different route? No, where, I went through end up with the doctor. Okay. I am. I, so as you said that, I, I'll answer the question, but as you said that the first two doctors were and banned. I don't mean to probe on your medical no, history. But the, <laughs> the first two doctors were banned. 
right? Yeah. It was a band questioning, you know, yeah. budget authority needs time frame. And the last guy was consultative, you know, give and take back and forth. Uh, but to answer your question, I did the surgery with doc number three. Very rarely do you meet somebody in life that's had back surgery and says, oh my gosh, that was life-changing. And if it is, it's life-changing in the bad way. You know, I still walk in circles because one leg's shorter than the other. <laughs> I am the poster child for having back fusion. I, marvelous uh, surgery. I walked uh, 36 holes this weekend. I carried my own bag. My, I am better than I was the day I was born. Love it. And, yeah. But I really think it's because that doctor knew that you were ready for it and that it solved your problem because you were ready for it. And I, mean, I was going to fight for it. Yeah. And you were going to fight for it. I mean, imagine if we sold like that yeah. in a way, right? I know you want the business, right? So you talk to young sellers and they're like, look, I don't, I don't have time for this, you know, consultative approach. Uh, I, I got that the other day. I was coaching a, a new guy uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, I, 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 I've done this value added reach out before and it takes too long. And I'm like, well, yeah, the other stuff doesn't take long at all for you to put a pitch together, but is it really effective? And when you sell someone, are they better off? And I think the answer to both of those is no and no. Yeah. So why do that? Why are you here if that's the case? You know, and I love it because this doctor viewed it as his purpose to say, look, I'm only going to work on, I know I could do it. And the other doctors, I'm sure they knew they could do it, but I'm only going to do it for the people that want it and really want me to do it for them. And I love that kind of selling approach. And I think that shines through. It kind of gets back to the purpose of why we're there. And I think you've got to have good purpose going in that you really want to help. And if you really want to help, sometimes helping is not getting that deal and walking away or, or saying, look, I don't think you guys are ready for this right now. Right. You don't have consensus. This other group is going to undermine you or they're not ready. You're going to make this change. IT, you're going to adopt this new technology. And that business group, is not going to be ready. And then neither of us succeed in the end. And when you do it like doctor number three, so that was back in 2015. Do you even want to take a guess how many of my friends and fellow golfers I've referred to him? I have become a massive billboard for this guy because people are like, hey, didn't you have few? Yeah, I had few. This is the guy. Let me give you his contact. I mean, um, you know, it's referral selling and he's not even asking for the referrals because I'm like, look, this guy's just solid. You're going to have yeah. to fight for it, but it's worth fighting for because he's that good. Yeah. If uh, we could all, if we could all have our customers say that of us. Yeah, I know our jobs would be done. What is Tim? We covered a lot of ground. We went over kind of the four virtual selling challenges. Problem solving 101 is kind of a way to get through and solve those. What's the one piece of advice or way that you'd like our evolvers to look at things, look at the world to be successful sellers today? Well, I think it still goes back to you got to focus on the fundamentals. And, and I've been beating that drum for a long time because um, the more the world changes, the more it stays the same. Mm -hmm. So my advice to everybody out there is uh, several steps. Number one, you got to make sure you got a compelling story. If you can't answer the why you, why now, or why now, why you, doesn't matter. But if you don't have a compelling story, nobody's going to pay attention to you. And when you're putting together your compelling story, please listen very carefully. You're not trying to sell a solution. You're trying to sell an initial conversation. So get yourself a compelling story. Step two is you need to understand the art of proper follow-up. Mm -hmm. Most salespeople today give up way too soon because none of us want to be seen as that 
you know, slimy, pushy, aggressive salesperson. Here's the deal. Everybody's world, like you said earlier, Tom, they've got eight Zoom calls. Things are going to fall through the crack. Unless you're number one on their priority, which we very rarely are, you're going to have to have some patience and some persistence. And I'm not giving you liberty to touch base and check in. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I don't want you touching my base. We just met and I don't need you to check in because I haven't had a probation officer in over 20 years now. <laughs> so when you're following up, you need to be building on the story. Hey, Tom, the reason I'm circling back, we had that initial conversation and I've come up with two more pieces of information that I think would be critical for you making a decision on how or if you want to move forward with me. Yeah. So got to have the story. I don't know how to follow up. And then once you finally if you do that, well, you're going to get those live conversations. You're going to get those virtual conversations. Probe, don't pitch. Ask those questions to disturb and enlighten. You, 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 the best way to make your ideas their ideas is to get them to discover it for themselves. And then, and then the final thing, and we haven't talked about it, Tom, is you got to be able to close. And not close as in, do you want to use your pen or my pen? But facilitating the decisions and, and making sure that everybody, you need to be able to close in a way that feels good for you and feels good for them. If, if closing doesn't feel good for you, then you've done something wrong. Right. Something upstream is terribly wrong because when you've done everything really, really right, a.k.a. the doctor, the the, the customer's going to say, no, I got to have this. And that's mm-hmm. they close themselves. Yeah. But if you do those four things um, for the next six months while the rest of the world gets well and then moving forward, because moving forward, this is not going to go away. I saw something from Deloitte that said uh, 2020 report by Deloitte states that only 30 percent of B2B buyers have any real interest to interact with <laughs> reps in person ever again. Mm. Yeah. That's <laughs> means one in one three of, that, ever again. That yeah. means and one out of th- one yeah. out of three of us ain't doing a very good job, folks. So yeah. look around you. Uh, so you better get used to this new world because it's going to be around for a while. Yeah, one in three don't want to engage again in person with a seller. You know, they're happy with the virtual meeting. Uh, you know, the the middle group would meet occasionally, and then there's less reason to do that because not everyone's going to be in the office. So you, yeah. you're talking about maybe only. 20, 30% of your in-persons returning for most, uh-huh. for most selling groups, right? Oh, I think um, you're right. So it's, a, it's a different world and you've got to be effective in this new 13 inch screen <laughs> and it's some different skills. A lot of it, like you said, though, is, is very much the same, reinforcing some of the same value added, consultative, probing, don't pitch kind of um, capabilities, but there are definitely some nuances and new ways to do it effectively in the virtual world. Tim, we just touched the surface of your knowledge and some of the things that you have to share. How can people reach and find you online to learn more? Well, uh, LinkedIn is always a great place because that's very non-threatening. You can look at some of my content, some of my ideas, watch some of my videos. I've got a website, timwalkle.com, or just give me a call. I'm in the office. I'm not on an airplane. I'd love to engage with you. Absolutely. Tim, thank you so much for participating. You and folks like you are what make the Evolvers a great and growing community. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Until next time, Evolvers, keep evolving.